Gathering Gains Prophecy Times podcast for another week. We are in episode two of our Revelation series. Last week we didn't even crack it into verse one, but our intent is that over the next 22 weeks we will do one chapter a week. So we're going to try and crack in and get through one chapter of uh, the book of Revelation today. So uh, grab your Bibles. Open up to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Last week we looked at all the, uh, the, I guess, the background to Revelation, particularly around the author and when it was written, the Apostle John written around AD 95 and why that's, uh, why that's important. But today we're just going to get into the Scriptures, starting at Revelation 1, verse 1, and we're just going to go through together. Um, so keep it open with me and uh, prepare your hearts to hear from the Lord. Revelation 1, starting at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Okay, so straight up we see that the Father gave this revelation to Jesus, the Son, to give to, to show Jesus' servants. That's you and me. Things which must shortly take place. Things which must shortly take place. That word shortly, and again, uh, we find another reference to it a little bit later, uh, refers to the imminent time by which these events uh, can start to take place. All of this stuff that happens at the end can begin at any moment with the blessed hope, the rapture of the church. And he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Okay, so the Father gave this revelation to Jesus to give to his servant John, which in turn would go to us. He signified it by sending his angel to share it with John. So sometimes throughout Revelation, we see an angel uh, speaking with John. Sometimes we see Jesus himself speaking with John. And sometimes we see uh, an elder in heaven speaking with John. Uh, And the message that God gives to John is for his servants. That's you and me. Verse 3. Well, before we get there, John being witness, John bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus. So he bore witness, he wrote it down uh, to the testimony that Jesus gave him, um, but also, uh, I think more broadly as well, uh, the testimony of, uh, of what Jesus, uh, the life that Jesus lived with in John's presence. But this is obviously specifically about this revelation. Verse 3, Blessed is he, and I love this, this. we talked about this uh, last week. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. See, there it is again. The time is near. These things will shortly take place. In other parts of the Bible, it says uh, the kingdom is at hand. These things could start happening at any time. But the blessing goes to those who read, those who hear, and those who keep. Now, that word keep means to take care of, 
to guard, to hold fast, to preserve, if you will, the meaning in its pages, the meaning in the revelation, to preserve it. So this is, this is a, I guess, a double edge to it. There's a blessing for those who keep it, but I think it's also a warning, and we, we get that warning later in Revelation to those who change it. Um, and so I think that's why it's really important that we read the revelation of Jesus Christ as it is written, and we understand symbols in the revelation that are interpreted within it and interpreted uh, through other parts of scripture, not through our own interpretation, so to speak. We need to keep it, take care of, guard the message of the revelation of Christ. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, the number seven, that's funny, I just talked about uh, symbols. Uh, the number seven typically through scripture uh, is symbolic of a number of of the number of completeness. Okay, so I mean, think about it in um, in the context of our wo our world. We we have seven days of the week, which is the complete week. Uh, there's um, this is going to be awkward. I'm not actually going to do it, but there's seven scales in uh, the do re mi fa so la ti do. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, but that is the complete uh, or the completion of the scales in, uh, in music. So the number seven throughout scripture typically refers to uh, something that is complete. And, uh, and here it's talking about the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, that's interesting. Why these seven churches? And we'll explore this more over the next couple of weeks. But why those seven churches? I mean, even particularly in Asia, there were more prominent churches in Asia. We have uh, Galatia and we have Colossae. But they're not included in these seven churches. And I think it has something to do with the characteristics of these seven churches that um, displayed the completeness of what churches would be like at that time, across all time, and this time now, in the end times in which we now live. So something to do with the completeness or the complete picture of the church. Uh, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And this is now a greeting from God. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. That's talking about the Father. Well, it's talking about God generally, uh, but in this context, because uh, Jesus is and was and is to come, and later in this chapter, we see that Jesus referred to himself in that way. Uh, so is the Holy Spirit. But in this context, it's specifically referring to the Father. It then goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, again, why seven now, I want, want us to, because there's not seven Holy Spirits, there's only one Holy Spirit, but I want us to understand that it's speaking to the completeness of the characteristic or the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the number seven references complete, but also we find elsewhere in Scripture, and this is where we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says this, 
speaking about what will be upon uh, the future Messiah, that is Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The seven spirits of the Holy Spirit, or seven characteristics, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. So here we have grace to you and peace from him who is, who was and is to come, the Father, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, that is the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Now that word witness means someone, uh, someone who is uh, perfect and complete in their willingness to sacrifice themselves for their faith. And in this case, uh, for the Father, willing to sacrifice himself. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, uh, that is the, the first fruits of the resurrection, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, now, this is, again, still speaking of Jesus to him who loved us. So John puts himself in there and, and that's us uh, as well. The believers to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and uh, just lost my place there. And who has made us kings and priests to his God and father. Just take note, uh, the church is the group who has been referred to as kings and priests. Uh, it's the only other group other than Melchizedek and Jesus who is referred to as both king and priest. Uh, has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him, this is Jesus, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Now, understand that this, this has in mind the return of Jesus Christ to the earth to stand uh, on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Uh, this is what it's speaking of when every eye will see him even they who pierced him. Who's that referring to? That is specifically referring to Israel, even they who pierced him. We get references to that in the prophets. Uh, but not also, uh, not just Israel. Keep going in verse 7. Uh, even they who pierced them and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And then we step into verse 8, and uh, at this point, it's not, uh, it's not 100% clear whether this is the Father talking or Jesus. I would argue that it's Jesus. But regardless, it is God saying, and I believe if you jump to verse 11, you see confirmation of this, uh, that it is Jesus, but also uh, even if this is the Father right now speaking, uh, what I love is that verse 8 and 11 confirms that Jesus is in fact deity. 
um, because if Jesus says that he is the same as the Father, then, uh, then he is in fact God. I love that. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The same title that uh, John gave to the Father earlier in verse 4. Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. So John was exiled onto the island of Patmos. Patmos uh, is a small island offshore of Ephesus and he was put there for the testimony of Jesus. He was put there because he was sharing his faith in Jesus Christ. And the rulers at the time, uh, I would argue Domitian at the time, the Roman emperor and, and his minions, if you will, persecuted Christians. And they didn't want, they didn't want to hear from people like John. And so he was exiled to Patmos. Now, what's interesting is, uh, I think it's Eusebius, uh, or Eusebius, I forget how you pronounce his name. Either way, uh, early church history uh, seems to attest to the fact that they tried, it, they tried to kill John. Um, so Eusebius speaks to uh, the event where they tried to boil John in oil, which is interesting. That's a fascinating way to try and kill someone. Um, but John miraculously survived that and, uh, and then what uh, proceeded following that was that they exiled him to the island of Pat Patmos. So that's kind of uh, a, bit of, a bit of history in the lead up to his exile. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now there's a couple of interesting things uh, that I think are in here. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, uh, what, is it, what does that mean? What, what's it referring to? Um, uh, some would say is in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was uh, communing with God on the Lord's day, most likely Sunday, uh, because that is the day that Jesus rose again. Uh, but we, we get this uh, four times through Revelation. So here in Revelation 1.10, in Revelation 4.2, we, we get it similarly where it says, uh, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And then we get it later in Revelation, in Revelation 17.3, where it says, So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting, and so forth. Uh, and then finally in Revelation 21.10, we get the same, uh, same thing again, where John says this, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city. So what we see there is this reference to in the spirit seems to be speaking of uh, God translating John into the spirit realm. 
somehow. So John uh, is translated in that moment into the spirit realm and he sees things that can only be seen in the spirit realm. God gives John a revelation uh, that cannot be seen in the physical realm, can only be seen in the spiritual realm. And it is that revelation that he then writes down. So he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was translated into the spirit realm, uh, most likely on a Sunday, but regardless the day that he was um, uh, celebrating, fellowshipping with the Lord, if you will. And he heard a trumpet. I heard a trumpet. Uh, I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. I love that. A voice like a trumpet. We hear that a few times in Revelation, uh, namely... Uh, Revelation 4, 1. I'll just read that to you. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. Interesting. Where else do we hear uh, a voice like a trumpet? Uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind is 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I've just got to find it now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 17, I think, no, starting at verse 13, uh, speaking of the rapture. Um, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, uh, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet of God is that uh, is that the voice um, of Jesus that John is referring to here when he says, "Behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet." I think it might be, um, but it's interesting anyway. Here we have John translated into the spirit realm, and behind him he hears. Uh, a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, verse 11, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Those are the seven churches that Jesus says here to send to um, uh, to send this letter to. Why do I, why do I say that I, I believe this is Jesus? Keep reading with me uh, verse 12 and we start to uh, get a picture. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now that's interesting. Um, a couple of things I find interesting here. First, firstly, is the reference to the Son of Man. That reference is used time and time again throughout Scripture in relation to Jesus Christ. So here we see that this voice as of a trumpet, the one who claims to be the Alpha and the Omega, is none other than the Son of Man, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King of the future kingdom. But what's especially interesting is that 
If you go back and look at the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, nowhere in any of those gospels, nor throughout any of the rest of the New Testament, do we get a physical appearance of what Jesus looks like. No one describes Jesus' physical appearance anywhere throughout the New Testament except for here. This is the first time we get a, a, uh, a look at, a snapshot picture of Jesus' physical appearance. Uh, verse 13, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, and we'll get to what that means shortly, because Scripture inter interprets Scripture, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet, he had a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white. They were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Wow. This would have been an incredible, not only is John in the presence of Jesus again, but he's in the presence of Jesus in his glory. And it just would have been incredible. Verse 16, he had, this is Jesus in his right hand, seven stars. And we'll come back to that again in a second. Seven stars in his right hand. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. His, his appearance, his countenance, was like the sun shining in its, in its strength. It would have been blinding almost to John. A powerful shining light. Now, this sharp two-edged sword, this is interesting. Did he have... A sword coming out of his mouth? Highly possible. But elsewhere in Scripture, uh, we see actually this referring to something very specific. We find in Hebrews 4 verse 12 this, For the Word of God, note that and remember that, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword when it comes to judgment. Do you see the judgment there? Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God, when it comes to judgment, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And then in Revelation 19, 15, we get this. Revelation 19, verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierce fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You see the Word of God, this sword, this 
this word of God, the thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth when it comes to judgment and punishment is like a two-edged sword. The sharp sword of Jesus' word is his, his ability to judge and to punish unrighteousness. But his word is not always like a two-edged sword. Keep reading with me. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. See, there Jesus' words bring comfort. He is, he is a comforter as well. So sometimes his words are in fact like a two-edged sword bringing judgment and punishment. But sometimes his words are healing balm to our souls. Revelation uh, verse 18. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now, this is interesting. If up until this point, you were uncertain who was talking. Is this the Father talking? Is this the Holy Spirit? Is this uh, the Son, Jesus? At this point, there should be no confusion. There should have been no confusion anyway. But at this point, certainly there is no confusion. I am he who lives, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit all live. And was dead. Has the Holy Spirit or the Father ever been dead? Nah. Only Jesus was dead for a moment. And behold, I am alive forevermore because he was raised from the dead this is absolutely talking about jesus and i have the i have the keys of hades and of death you see when jesus died he went into abraham's bosom in hades and he preached to the uh to the saints and to the lost in uh at that time across the chasm to the lost and, uh, and to the saints in Abraham's bosom. And then he took captivity captive and he took all the saints from Abraham's bosom back uh, to heaven with the Father. And he could do that. Why? How? Because he has the keys of Hades and death. He has supreme rule. He is King Jesus whose words spoke the world into being. He is King Jesus, whose words are sharper than a double-edged sword, bringing judgment and punishment on the wicked. My question to you at this point is, whose team are you on? I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be on the losing team. I want to be on Jesus' team. I want to be on King Jesus' team. Repent. Turn around from the direction in which you're going and turn to Christ. That's the only way we can be on the winning team. Turn from the way in which you're going and follow Jesus. Do you believe that he is God and that he is willing and able to take away our sins because of what he did, shedding his blood on the cross for you and I? 
if you believe he is who he says he is and you turn from the direction you're going toward Jesus, you will be saved. You're now on the winning team. Jesus is alive forevermore and he alone has the keys of death and Hades. And then we enter verse 19. And verse 19, uh, I would argue, is the biggest key to the whole book of Revelation, understanding how, um, how things play out and understanding how, uh, what, it, what parts are referencing what. So many people get uh, the book of Revelation all mixed around because they don't understand or they've missed this uh, divine outline that God gives in Revelation 1 verse 19. They start putting the church as the 144,000. They start putting the church here, there and everywhere. Uh, they start putting the church going through the period of time of Revelation, which Revelation clearly says won't happen. Uh, this is what happens when we don't understand and grasp this verse and uh, its importance in understanding the rest of Revelation. So I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 1 verse 19, write the things which you have seen, past tense, and the things which are, present tense, and the things which will take place after this. Okay, so how are we to understand that? What, what is that saying? Well, Jesus has, uh, has taken John into the spirit realm and he's already showed him some things. And he's about to show him some things that are taking place now. And he's about to show him some things that are happening in the future. Okay, so what's what? So write the things which you have seen. So Jesus is telling John this now. Speaking, write the things that you have seen. Well, what has he seen? Well, what he's seen already is what we found in Revelation chapter 1. That is the, uh, the image of the Son of Man. He's heard the voice as of a trumpet. He's turned to see uh, one looking like the Son of Man with the seven stars in his hands walking among the seven golden lampstands. And we haven't looked at exactly what that means yet. But that is the thing that he has seen. So once he's come into the spirit realm, that's the thing that he's seen. So in the context of the divine outline that God gives us for Revelation, Revelation 1 is the thing which John has seen, past tense. And then when Jesus says, and write the things which are present tense, what are the things which are in relation to John and the time in which John lived? Well, in relation to John and the time that which John lived, the things that are are the things which Jesus was writing and that wanted uh, all the people of the seven churches in Asia to hear and to understand. So the things which are are the things of the church at that time that John was writing it. Now, just want to pause you for a second there. Are we 
still in the same times of the churches that John was writing to. Technically, you could argue, no, we're not. But also technically, you could argue, yes, we are. We still are in the church age. A believer who dies now is part of the bride of Christ, similarly to any believer that died at the time of John would also be a part of the bride of Christ, that is the church. So we find ourselves now in the same church age that John found himself, that John was writing to at that time. And I've said this before again, if you believe that the book of Ephesians or Colossians or Romans or Thessalonians um, and on and on it goes, if you believe those books who were written to specific churches at that specific time are still relevant to the church now, which they absolutely are, then Revelation 2 and 3, the writings to the seven specific churches, are in fact still relevant to the church now. A little while ago, I talked about the completeness of those seven churches chosen. Uh, some biblical scholars would argue, and I'm not going to argue the point, but I would tend to agree that those seven churches marked seven specific churches at that time. Number one, they also marked the... Uh, the changes within the church across the generations from that time to the time in which we live now. Um, and so you go from the church of, um, what's the first one? The church of Ephesus. Yeah, so we go from Ephesus to uh, Smyrna to Pergamos and through the ages we see the characteristics that John wrote, uh, that Jesus gave him revelation of uh, about those churches. We see similarities between those churches and things like the medieval church and etc. Um, etc. Et we see the similarities across the time from the early church through medieval through to the church in which we uh, presently sit. So number one, literal church, seven literal churches at the time. Number two, uh, the, uh, the changes within the church across the ages or the stages. And number three, uh, these seven churches, the, the letters that were written, are written to the complete church right now in our present context. So when we read these letters to the seven churches, we see characteristics that we see in the church right now. We see more missional churches. We see Pentecostal churches. We see all kinds of different churches, Roman Catholic church, etc., etc. We see all types of different churches now that we see similarities to the characteristics that John wrote here in relation to these seven churches. So you've got that almost a threefold uh, view of who this is written to. But regardless, this is absolutely written to you and I right now in the present tense, the present age, the church age. So, Revelation 1.19, Jesus says, write the things which were, or which, which you have seen, I should say, I should get that correct. And that's Revelation chapter 1. 
write the things which are present tense that is revelation chapter 2 and 3 the church age we're still in the present tense we're still in the church age and then it says and the things which will take place after this in the greek it it refers to after these things meaning after these things of the present tense of the things which are meaning after these things of the church age so as soon as you hit revelation 4 we no longer see the church pictured on earth and we get into the things which take place after the church age so really clearly here in revelation 1 verse 19 Jesus gives us an outline for how we are to understand the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 is the things which John has seen, past tense. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are the things of the present age that are relevant to the churches of the church age across all that time period. And then verse uh, chapters 4 through to 22 are the things which happen after the church age so revelation 4 through 22 by god's divine outline here in revelation 19 are clearly seen to be future that is after the church age after the time at which the church gets raptured revelation 4 through 22 are the events that take place how incredible is it that God gave us this divine outline right here in Revelation 1 19 verse 20 we start to get the explanation for uh, the vision which John uh, which Jesus gave to John the things that he has seen in Revelation 1 the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches okay so a couple of things first of all the the seven uh, lampstands what's incredible about that is the seven lampstands refer to the complete church refers to the church across uh, the age of the church age and what we see in uh, verse 13 of Revelation 1 is and in the midst of the seven lampstands in the midst of the church one like the son of man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with the golden band who is that Jesus Jesus was walking in the midst of the churches Jesus is in the midst is in our midst of the churches where the church is there jesus is how incredible is that that's the first thing so the lampstands are the church and jesus is there in the midst now the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches couple of things to note the seven stars are in jesus right hand so first of all that's incredible whoever these beings are they are in the hands of jesus that's the first thing I want to point out the second thing is the greek word for angels here uh, means messengers it simply means messengers now throughout scripture this in different contexts has come to mean either heavenly messengers 
of God, being angels, angelic beings, or earthly messengers of God, being human messengers of God. So what is this referring to in uh, verse 20 here? Is it referring to human messengers of God or angelic messengers of God? One could argue that it's either uh, protecting angels of those seven churches or faithful pastors of those seven churches. And I think as we go into uh, Revelation more deeply and more clearly, you will see that in fact these uh, messengers that Jesus is referring to here that are in his right hand are in fact the faithful pastors of the churches. Let's think about it practically just for a minute because I know that's possibly blowing your mind. But practically, nowhere in Scripture do we have a precedent for God sending a message with an angel to a human to write it down that will then be given to an angel. Does that make sense? Because essentially what Revelation is, is a message from God, uh, the Father, to Jesus. Jesus uh, signifies it by sending an angel uh, to John. And between the angel and Jesus, they give John the message. They give John the revelation. So it's like God has given a message to an angel for John, a human, to write it down, to then give it back to an angel. Nowhere in Scripture do we have precedent for that. The way angels get messages from God is directly. They have direct messages to God. Also, I think what's interesting is that we find in Revelation uh, 1 verse 4, says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. If it's to the churches, why is it going to the protecting angel? Again, the angel should get the message directly from God. But once the angel gets the message, how does the rest of the church get the message? It's just, it, it doesn't make sense. The thing that makes the most sense in the context, we have precedent for the Greek word uh, for angels, that is messengers, uh, being earthly messengers. And the, the thing that makes most sense within the context that this is in fact referring to the seven faithful pastors of these seven churches that were in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And in fact, that also means that it's a letter to not only all the churches, I say churches, by that I simply mean the one true church, but it's a message to all the local uh, churches, uh, right now across the whole world, but it is to all those faithful pastors of those churches who God is holding in the palm of his right hand. This is who this message is to. It's to the churches and it's to the faithful pastors. Pastors, you need to wake up. You need to be aware that this message is for you. It's for me. It's for us. It's for the churches, but for pastors particularly who are in the hands of God to lead and guide and shepherd and nurture their flocks, to rebuke, to discipline as is necessary as we enter into Revelation 2 and 3. We're going to leave it there because we're 
we're massively out of time. Thank you so much for joining another Prophecy Times podcast. Really looking forward to being with you again next week, Wednesday, 5 p.m., when we tackle Revelation chapter 2. Much love and God bless.